Well, good morning to all of you, and welcome, welcome to our preaching and teaching time this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Ruth this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures uh, in the uh, worship center there, uh, we welcome you as you gather with us now. There's a Bible in the pew rack right in front of you. Uh, for those of you who are here in the Fellowship Hall, just raise your hand. We'll get a copy of the Scriptures to you if you need one. You can turn on your digital device if you can find the book of Ruth. If you're new to Bible study, let me help you. Uh, Ruth is in the Old Testament. So we've been in Luke, the New Testament, for quite some time. And now we're in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Old Testament, written by Moses, and then there's Joshua, which tells the story of them coming into the land, judges, what happens once they get in the land, and then Ruth. And so we're right up front there. Go ahead and turn there. As uh, I just mentioned a couple of things, number one, if you're watching online this morning, thank you for watching. Always a, a privilege to be in a hospital room or to hear from some of you, get an email, get a text from someone when I'm driving home. Hey, we watched online today, so what a wonderful ministry. Thanks to all the, the guys and gals who make that ministry possible, and so we're grateful that you're joining us as well. And then also, dinner with the staff. I know our guys might have mentioned it already. I might have missed the welcome as I was trying to get over uh, from uh, the other side over here, but dinner with the staff, a great way for you to connect if you are not yet connected at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks few months, maybe some of you even longer, you haven't found this place to call, uh, you haven't made this place your home yet, although you call it a place where I'm attending, we invite you to come Tuesday, May the 2nd, which is a week from this Tuesday, so you can do a couple of things to register for that, uh, and again, it's just an overview of our, our mission, what does it mean to be a member here, we want to help you with that, so you can either use this connection card and bring it by the guest services, which is out in the Welcome Center there, the tall tables, our folks there. Uh, they can grab that from you, or you can just walk out and say, I don't have a connection card, can I sign up? Or you can go online, go on our website. It's all there. We want to get you connected. That could be a very next step for some of you. So a wonderful opportunity a week from this Tuesday. Free meal, child care from fifth grade on down for you families as well. Okay? Very good. All right, if there's one word. If there is one word in the English language that warms and stirs our heart, that pulls our heart, it might be the word redemption. Because we all know what it means to fail. We all know what it means to make a mistake that we horribly regret. We all know what it means to be in a place, in a pit, of hopelessness or helplessness, and we long to be pulled out of that and raised up to a place of joy or satisfaction or completion or forgiveness, whatever it might be. But that is what I think of when I think of the word redemption, because I know it stirs my heart. Maybe it stirs yours as well. Let me show you a picture that I think illustrates the word redemption in a way that you folks will understand, in a way that stirs my heart as well. All right, you see that picture up there? On the right 
Actually, both of those pictures are book covers of one team that's very near and dear to my heart, one team that's not real near and dear to my heart, all right? Let's take the team on the, uh, on the right of the picture there. I think that's one of the linebackers for Clemson. This is the back cover of a book commemorating what just happened in the life of Clemson football over the last year. Two years ago, you Clemson fans know this, like the back of your hand, two years ago, Clemson had a great run, made it all the way to the playoffs, invited to the playoffs, got into the national championship game. I think they were even ahead in the national championship game. Alabama, mighty University of Alabama, I like how those reporters say that, comes storming back and rips your heart out. All right? Next year, what happens is past year, you struggle, you fight, you work, get invited back to the playoffs again. Make your way to the national championship against whom? Yep, Alabama, all right? You make it to the top, all the way to the end. You're behind, I believe. Get to the last play. Deshaun Watson, you know it. You got it on your screensavers. You got it in your head. He rolls to the right, throws that pass. What happens? Bedlam, and you have been redeemed from the heartbreak of losing, right? So thus they say, redemption. The one on the left means more to me than the one on the right does. I'll tell you that right now. A couple weeks ago, as my guys up there, right? University of North Carolina, big Tar Heel fan. Two years ago, same story. Same story. Team made it all the way. Had a great team. A couple of great seniors on that team. Make it all the way to the, th through the bracket to the final four. And uh, they get to the championship game. They were behind in the championship game to Villanova. Marcus Page makes this incredible shot. I mean, we're down. He ties it. Just a few seconds left. We're thinking overtime. Villanova comes down. And you, you know the scene five, right out of Hoosiers. Five, four, three, two, one. Let it fly. And it goes in. I've seen that picture maybe one time in my entire life. Whenever that scene shows up again, I bury my head. I don't want anything to do with it, right? They beat us. Heart just ripped out of my chest, right? Come back this year, same things. Good team, but I, I didn't want to believe. Honestly, I just didn't want didn't to believe and get there, but they, they make it to the national championship, to the, to the final four, and then to the championship game in Phoenix again. We get to the end, and you see there the celebration at the buzzer. And this word, redemption, Redemption brings hope and lifts us up because we know where we were and we know or we long for what it feels like to be pulled out of that. It's just natural. It's just human nature. Now, for those South Carolina fans that I see here this morning, and you're either about to do a couple of things, either walk out or throw up, I promised my daughter I would do this because she's a big South Carolina basketball fan. Let's go ahead and show it, uh, guys. There you go. There's your national champions right there, the University of South Carolina. Great run by those gals as well, all right? A redemption. We long for it. And over the course of the next few weeks, if you have blown it, if you, have, if you have said something or done something in your life and it has just caused separation and heartbreak and hurt and regret, if you've missed an opportunity, if you have not done something that you should have done and you have this heart 
of loneliness and hurt and separation and brokenness, and you live there, this series is for you. Maybe you haven't done anything. Maybe it's just the struggle and the strain of everyday life. Maybe it's just... It, maybe it's just life that you're trying to plow through. And, and, and you're hurting and you're heavy and you long to be pulled out of there. This series is for you. Or maybe something tragic has happened to you. Maybe something has happened suddenly where the roof has just caved in on your life. The foundations are shaking. You don't know what the next day might hold. You're fearful and you're uncertain. This series is for you. Because what we've named this series, simply redeemed, is the story that we all long for. But here's what we're going to learn as we watch a family who is in need of redemption. A, a, a widow and her daughter in need of redemption. A people, the nation of, the nation of Israel, in need of redemption. What we're going to realize in all of these things is that we're all in need of it. We all long for that. It, it's something that we all aspire to. But there's only one place that we can find it. And that is in a redeemer. A redeeming father through a redeeming son. This incredible story. If you walk with us over the next few weeks, this incredible story, I think, will move you. It might not change everything outwardly so that at the end of our time together, it, it, the circumstances might be familiar, they might be the same, but inside of you, the redeeming work of God moving from helplessness to hope begins to well up in you so that whatever God leads you through, you can go through it with great redemption. That's my heart for you all. And this is what I long for as I start the book of Ruth with you as we walk through together. This is just not the story of Ruth. This is the story of God redeeming those that he loves. And that's you and me. So begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. Here's what we're going to do today. We're just going to go through the first five verses. And it's a setup for the whole book. So we're going to follow along with the book. We're going to set it up. Pull some, maybe some themes that we find in that paragraph as well as themes for the book. And then we're going to be on our way. So if you have your place, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 this morning. Would you please stand with me as we stand for the reading of the word of God, a mark of respect as we worship and encounter him now through the preaching, through the word, and through your listening this morning. Here's what it says. In the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech... The husband of Naomi, he died, and she was left with her two sons. So these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, but then Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left. The woman was left without her two sons, and without her husband. You may be seated. Verse 1. 
let's set this stage not only for today, but for the rest of our time together. In the time of the judges, in the days when the judges ruled. The day of the judges. This is the period of time that there was nothing but social and spiritual and political unrest in the nation of Israel. The people had come out of Egypt. Moses had led them through the wandering years. He brings them to the edge of the promised land, and Joshua brings them into the promised land. And it's there that we find the people of God settling in. Every tribe in its particular spot. So we have a map for you here, map during the time of Judges. And can't read it all there, but there is a sense of where the tribes began to part themselves. This is the nation of Israel, the promised land that God told Abraham, I'm going to give you this place and you're going to live there. But here's the problem. The judges, it wasn't a period of great stability. It was total chaos. And so what would happen is the opposing peoples and and different people groups throughout the region and around the people of God would come in and would bother and would pester and enslave and punish the people of God. And the reason that God allowed that was because there's this cycle that happens in the land during that time. There's sin, the people rebel, then they're suffering, they're enslaved or punished by these foreign territories. So God says, I hear you're crying. I'm going to send a judge or a ruler to come in and to help you. Now, the ruler didn't rule over all of Israel, just a certain area, specific task for a certain people. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Captain America and Iron Man and the Marvel guys and gals. They're called to a particular area, to a particular time. And once they deal with that, they're raised up. These heroes, they deal with that. Then they go back, right? And so this is what's happening in Judges. God raises up a judge and they go in and they deal with it. Then the people sin and they suffer. And then another leader comes in. And over here, they sin, they suffer. And another leader comes in. And the cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And there's no cohesion. There's complete chaos spiritually and politically. And the people are left vulnerable. And they're longing for the stability of a leader, of a king. Turn back one page. Turn back one page to the very last verse of the book of Judges. And this sets it up because this is the time period in which Ruth and this story rises up. Right in the middle of this. Look at what it says. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's a beautiful summary. No king because they wanted a king. They thought a king was what they needed, even though Samuel warned them, the prophet Samuel that God sent, I'm going to warn you, you just be faithful. You don't, no, 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 we want a king, okay. But there's no king, there's no rule, no authority, and this is where this story takes place. So in these days, here comes this famine. There's a famine in the land, and this man moves from Bethlehem over to Moab. This famine hits And this man named Elimelech takes his wife, we know her as Naomi, and their two sons, and they move from Bethlehem over to Moab. So let's zero in on this map just a little bit, and we'll find here how that Bethlehem, you'll see where it is, you'll see a square red box there where Bethlehem is, just outside Jerusalem. This is where they live, and they're going to go up 
They're probably going to go around the Dead Sea there. That's the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' headquarters were. It was up north. The Jordan comes down, so they're going to go past Jericho. They'll wave at Jericho on the left as they go by. They'll come around. They'll wave at Mount Nebo, where they believe Moses was buried there, and they'll come down into Moab, which is a long-time enemy, a long-time neighbor of the people of God. And so this famine causes this man who is in Bethlehem to move over and to search for food. No food. And so he's on the move. Here's where we want to pause just for a second. All right. And we want to add this. Famines come into every single one of our lives. You know it and I know it. There's a, period of, there's a period of dryness. You know, a famine is where there's, there's not only food, but it's dry and the, and the conditions are, 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 are miserable. Famines would come maybe because of drought or maybe because of, of uh, locust. In the agrarian societies of the Old Covenant, locust or some so- sort of insect or disease would come in and wipe things out and people couldn't eat and people would die. We all go through periods of famine in our lives. And as I look through the Old Testament, here's what tipped me off when when one writer said this. And here's our first point this morning. I love this line. It's real simple, but I hung on to it this week, and I dug in to research it this week a little bit. Famines refine and redirect us. This is Liz Curtis Hicks. She's a wonderful Christian author. Loved reading her as she is walking through Ruth. I'll probably walk with her as I walk through the pages of the Scripture. But famines refine and redirect us. Here's what I think she means by that. Famines are hard. What you're going through in your life right now could be incredibly difficult. But famines are purposeful. They're purposeful. They're not haphazard. Famines are purposeful because God has an end in mind. Now, when God would send a famine, here's what he would do. He would either send it to sometimes correct the people of God. For instance, in the book of Haggai, this prophet is sent by God to help the people re- rebuild, the, rebuild the temple. And in the very first chapter, God says, I'm going to send a famine among the people because they don't care about the house of God. A correction. Famines were sent to, to refine a people when they were disobedient, when they were rebellious. God said, I'm going to withhold it so that what? You can be refined. Here's a question for all of us this morning that maybe some of us need to take away from the very first line in the book of Ruth as a famine moves a people. Is God, has God sent a famine in your life to move you, to refine you, to correct you? When famines hit, you suddenly become dependent. You suddenly become desperate and Maybe, just maybe, God has sent famine for this one reason, to say, wake up. Look up. I want, to re- I want to refine you. I don't want to leave you where you are now. I want to move you. Or maybe famine comes just to redirect you. Maybe it's not a, an issue of confession or repentance or an issue of, of correction in your life, of getting your heart quiet and soft before God. Maybe that's not the issue. Maybe it's just simply God saying, here's the next step. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I find this very interesting. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three patriarchs, 
all are redirected by God during times of famine. And when they go into a place, they come out radically different than when they came in. For them, they would go into a place empty and they'd come out completely full. That's not health and wealth gospel that I'm preaching there. That's heresy. What I'm saying is sometimes God takes you to a place of famine and he's saying, move, redirect, go. There's nothing here. Get over here so that over here is where I do my work in you. And as long as you stay here, you're going to starve to death. Now, the key is discerning what the Holy Spirit says to you. But nevertheless, famines come in our lives so that God can open the door to his plan. Times of unrest, times of chaos, times of uncertainty, times of hunger, times of thirsting are hard, but hard times are purposeful as we look to God in great dependency. What about you? Maybe your response this morning is one, God, there's a famine in my life, and I'm asking you, is there something that I need to bring to the cross this morning? I don't know. Maybe for some of you, it's the next step. It's the next move in your life or in your career, in your relationship, in your parenting. There's a step. There's a movement. Discern what the Holy Spirit might say to you. Walk with the people of God who can help pray with you and help you. So they move. They move down to to Moab. You saw it there. They go around the Dead Sea. They land in a place from Bethlehem to Moab, and they sojourn there. That word sojourn is big. Okay, there in verses 1 and 2, this idea of sojourning. They, that word is one that would be very familiar to us today, currently in our, our political times. It really just simply means a refugee. They're a resident aliens. So here they come from one nation or one country or one people group, and they're settling amongst a strange people group, a different one, a foreign one. And it is there that they're supposed to stay. Sojourn simply means it's temporary. They're, they're not supposed to be there full time. But what happens is, is we see the progression through one through five. They end up settling down there. They end up staying there for 10 years before next week we'll see that they get back up and leave. But they are sojourners. They are strangers. They are in a foreign place. They are, are looking for help. And here's what I want to emphasize this morning. We're just, let's just touch on this. Just for a second, second thought this morning is this. That kindness isn't just a courtesy, but really reflects the heart of God and reflects the gospel for those in need. Now, where does that come from? Well, I think it comes from sojourn here. They're, they're looking. They're hungry. Reminds me of the, the choir that sang here just a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, maybe, from Burma. The wonderful folks at Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem bring them in, share the gospel with them. They begin traveling. They begin, their, their kids come over. More and more kids come over, and God begins to raise up this incredible story among refugees, among sojourners because of the kindness of the people of Calvary Baptist Church, because of the kindness of the gospel. I love this theme, and it's, all, it's weaved all throughout this book, and I never saw it until, until one of the commentators said there are two things, kindness and redemption, and kindness because we see it in Ruth to Naomi, to her mother-in-law. Hey, there's a, there's a practical point for you. Be kind to your mother-in-law this week, right? Boaz to Ruth, 
Ruth to, to, Ruth to the people of God and the people of God to her. We see the kindness of God seeping through to people who are in a strange place, who are in a helpless place. And may our hearts be stirred throughout this series by the kindness of God towards us when we were strangers. Here's the gospel. The gospel is we were strangers and aliens and enemies, Romans says, from God, separated from him. We ran from him like sheep who run from their shepherd, Isaiah says. We were distant from him, but God in our sins still loved us and commended his son in great kindness to die for us so that we could be brought back together with him. The kindness of God is not simply a southern courtesy. It's the gospel for those who are in a difficult place. And we see this throughout this incredible story. And I pray that our hearts are moved by the kindness of God for those who are in strange, difficult, helpless places like Moab. Here comes Ruth from Bethlehem. You know what the word Bethlehem means? I love this. It means house of bread. It's literally what it means in the Hebrew. Um, When I thought of that phrase, when I read that phrase, house of bread, my first thought was Strassner's Bakery a couple weeks ago when I walked in. That is an incredible house of goods and bread right there. That's what it means. Bethlehem is overflowing and it's full and it's satisfied. But now they're going to this strange place where only the kindness of God is going to work its way in because Moab is not a place where you would go and say, that's a stellar place. That's a moral place. That's a place that I want to be known from. Moab was a place that had this horrible history. And this weaves into the story so beautifully when you think about Ruth. This is Ruth's past. This is the kindness of God coming to Ruth with her past. You ready? This is her background. This is where she lives, where she comes from. Ruth is from Moab, the very first descendant of Moab, the father of the Moabite people. You ready for this? Was born out of sexual incest between Lot... Abraham's nephew, when Sodom and Gomorrah burned, Lot and his wife go running out. Lot's wife looked back, turned into a pillar of salt. He goes up to the mountains. His daughters get him drunk. They commit incest with him. His oldest daughter and Lot, they have a child, and they name him Moab. And that's the people. As they grow, the people of God come through the wilderness God gets incredibly angry at the people of Moab because they don't give the people food and water to the point where Moses says, if you're a Moabite and you come into our country because of that and because of the way you've treated us, you can't worship, you can't come into the worshiping community with us. I mean, it's Deuteronomy 23, it's right there. To the point where as the children of Israel come in, the women of Moab and the men of Israel commit sexual immorality and then it leads to idolatry and God is so angry at them. But here's what I want you to understand. With all of that past, that's Ruab, uh, Ruth's past, God redeems. What's your past? Where do you come from? What are you marked by? God redeems out of his kindness and mercy. What a great, great thing. But then third, 
2 through 5, here's what happens. You read it. We read it together. Elimelech, um, he dies. Now, I love his name. I love his name. His name means my God is king. Our God is my king, it says. Remember the end of Judges? <laughs> there was no king in Israel. First page of Ruth. In the, in the scripture, the scriptures are amazing, aren't they? How the Holy Spirit, even though Ruth happens in the middle of Judges, they order Judges. Uh, Ruth, right after Judges, the last line, there's no king in Israel. Right away, my, th- this man, my God is king. He is our hope. Um, no, he's not, because he's dead. <laughs> they go to Moab, and he dies. We don't know why, what he died from. It doesn't tell us that. And so Naomi, they have these two sons, and this doesn't really, um, uh, it doesn't really pretend well for the future when you think of the names of these guys. Maybe you've done a Bible study in Ruth before, but when I read this and when I heard this for the very first time, I was like, uh-oh, this isn't good. I've read enough literature to know that if that's their names, things aren't going to go well from this point forward. Naomi's name means sweet. If you know a Naomi, sweet, pleasant, gentle, Right? My God is king, drops dead. Naomi, gentle, has two sons with her, Malon and Kilion. Malon, his name, you know what his name means? Sick and puny. You like that? Way to go, mama. Way to go. During those days, whatever the circumstances are around the birth of the child, I don't know how you named your kid, all right? You named it after dad or grandpa or great uncle or best friend, whatever, right? Circumstances around the birth of a child, they go, here are the circumstances, or here's my heart for this young man, all right, Elimelech, my God is king. We're, we're looking, we're hoping. Here comes Malon. His, his, he's puny, <laughs> sick and puny, all right? The brothers, not much better. The brother's name means um, destruction, to put an end to something, annihilation. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on in Naomi. I don't know what she's eating in the womb, but these guys come out sick and puny and destruction, all right? Here they come to Moab. And Elimelech is gone. He drops dead. He, he, he's gone. And Naomi says, at least I got my two boys sick in destruction. Sick in destruction. Go marry, though, Moabite women. They don't go, let's go back home to the house of bread. Let's not go back to Strossner's where we can get full. Nope. They say, let's stay here. They marry Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. Now, we're not sure exactly what their names are. There's, there's a taste there. Although I did find out that Oprah Winfrey was named for Orpah. That's her name, Orpah in her birth certificate. They didn't know how to pronounce it or say it. They called her Oprah. There's just a little tip for you to go home with. Orpah and Ruth, right? And here are these Moabite women, and they marry sick and destruction, and then they die. And they don't have any children. All right, so, so here's the deal. Naomi and this family have come because there's no food. And now there's no family. Because there could be nothing worse in all of Israel than this. That your family is completely wiped out. That, that was the biggest fear. Culturally, and it meant sp- had all these spiritual implications as well. That my family's wiped out. It's extinct. It's gone. It's no more. That the name of Elimelech through sick and destruction, um, it ends. And it says there at the end of verse um, 5 that she was left without her two sons, and she has these Moabite women with her, 
And instead of no food, now she has no family, and now she has no future. Here's what Naomi's thinking. Look, look across the page. Chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what she's thinking. She goes back to Bethlehem, spoiler alert, for next week. And she says to them, when she greets the villagers, don't call me Naomi anymore. I'm no longer pleasant. I'm no longer gentle. But call me Mara. I'm bitter. Why has God done this? Why has the Lord brought calamity upon me? Verse 21. And here's where Naomi is, and this is where some of you are this morning. Third point. You're trapped in the helplessness of the here and the now. This is where she is. Stuck there for 10 years. No children. No children. Stuck there for 10 years. No future. No income. She's a widow. No, 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 sons, to, no, no, no sons to provide for her. No grandsons to have a future for her. She has no identity anymore. There's no legacy to leave. And she's trapped in here and now to the point where all she can see and all she can hear around her is the here and now of I'm helpless. Is that where some of you are? Here's what happens. Here's what happens. You get in a position of helplessness and the emotions take over. Because you say, I am so burdened or I am so uncertain or I am so fearful or I am so damaged and wounded and hurt. And what those emotions do is they swirl around you in the here and now. And all you see around you, all you hear around you, and all you feel around you is helplessness, and you're paralyzed by that in the here and in the now. And the evil one wants to keep you there because here's what he'd be happy for you to do is to remain in a play of helplessness and go to church, come in and out, do the religion thing, kind of wobble through and some good seasons, some, some, some not so good seasons, do your thing and look good, but inside there's no movement. There's no surrender. There's no reconciliation. And you're really not going to move. That's where Naomi is. That's where she is. And, and that's where some of you are. So where's the hope? Well, there's a sliver of hope in this paragraph, and I want to leave it with you. This is where we're walking over the next few weeks, because here's the reality. I, in the car, I was driving around yesterday, and I thought, what is the answer here? I get to lead these people through the book of Ruth. Honestly, I'm just going to keep walking through it with you. I'm going to let the Word of God bring it out for us because I long for these things as well. So please come over the next few weeks. All right, number four, though. Here's the hope. Get through this quickly. The people of God are tethered to the overarching plan of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted Christ fully, you're tethered to the plan of God. <laughs> I love this little line in here. For you, it might not mean... Much, you might walk away scratching your head going, I, I don't fully get it, but let me see if I can break it down for you. There in verse 3, look, look at this little phrase. After, after the two boys, sickly and destruction, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem 
and Judah. And you're, you're saying, that doesn't mean much. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. Remember how I said Ruth sits at the end of Judges? And there's Judges, or Ruth. And then there's 1 Samuel. We begin the kings, where God begins to raise up a, a monarchy there in Israel. And Israel's most popular, favorite king was introduced to us first by Samuel when he anointed him. He's a shepherd boy. His name's David. He's out in the fields. They anoint him. But then the very next chapter, 1 Sam Samuel 17, one of the greatest Old Testament hero stories of all time, David and Goliath. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite in Bethlehem in Judah. And here's what we're going to see. There's a direct link between this young, Gentile, pagan, Ruth, marked by her past in the future of David. There's going to be a line. And there would be another king born in Bethlehem of Judah from the line of David named Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Is that there's this plan and you feel that it's out of control. You feel you're stuck. You feel no one can know. Or you feel my feet are slipping all over the place. Or you feel I've totally messed up and everyone's watching. This is how you feel. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to look up and see that God's people are tethered to the overarching plan of God. And he will hold them there until he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. It's called the sovereignty of God. Big word, but I found a great definition from an university writer. And it's this. You might want to write this down. I love this definition. It might not be as complete as some of you want, but I love it. God cares, and he is there. God rules, and God provides. God cares, and he is there. Even though you don't, you don't think it, he rules. Nothing happens outside of the rule of God. That's what the scriptures teach. But he will provide, and he will provide in his way in his time. You stay tethered to the sovereignty of God throughout all this. And you wait for his redemption. And I, I use that word tethered purposely. <laughs> because this week, I'm walking out of my house, it looked like a construction zone. Last thing and I'm done. It looked like a construction zone. Because everyone's getting their houses fixed when the hail bashed in all of our roofs. All right? So we got all these workers every night. I look up, walk out, and I look up and down this steep roof. Here's this guy, and he's coming down the steep roof. And he's got one of those skylight windows. You know what those are? They put them up in the roofs, and they're really thick, and they're really, I mean, he's carrying this thing. And I'm thinking, what in the world? How is he going to do it? I mean, it's steep, and, and then they got the tarp all over, and it holds all over. They're trying to repair it. They're trying to fix it. They're doing the best that they can. And his only way of finishing the house, the only way of seeing the thing repaired, and the only way of getting that skylight window in, and the only way of patching everything up is that he is tethered by a rope up around the corner of the roof to an anchor where it's stable. 
Now he can't, as he comes down, he can't see over that. He can't, he can't see around that. It's up there. It's over there. But it's sure, and it's anchored, and it's tethered. And so his feet can be firm, and he can do his job, and he can take risks, and he can do everything he needs to do. Why? Because he trusts. I'm tethered. Now, I don't see him out there, woohoo, just flying around all over the place. I don't see that. But he's sure. This is what Ruth is. Here and now, it's hard. The overarching plan of God. Hang on. Hang on for the Redeemer. Hang on. It's going to be a great study. Will you pray with me now? Father, Psalm 73, may that be the prayer of our heart this morning. My flesh and my heart may fail. Lord, look at your people. Their heart and their flesh, some of them, they're failing. Literally, some of them physically are falling apart. Their hearts, they're crumbling. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, may you be the strength of our heart. May we walk in great faith. Lord, thank you for famines, kindness in our sojourning, and an anchor of a day when the Redeemer comes and steps in. Lord, for the for the individual who is not a follower of Jesus, I, I pray for them now that this gospel of being separated, but yet the good news being brought through the cross of Christ would be their story. I, I pray for them now, and Lord, for all of us, we long for that redemption. We want that headline marked at the top of the book that is written about us one day, redemption. May we find it not, not in simple, easy steps, but may we find it deep in the Word. Bring it to light. Lord, I pray right now, this morning, bring to light how you will lead your people. I'm dependent upon you. I don't, I don't have all the answers for them, but the Word, the word will lead us. But comfort your people this morning by the sovereign, gracious hand of God. Brought about by Jesus, in whose name we pray.